In episode 109 of MobiCast, we started our discussion on how to build a massively scalable image hosting service. We talked about the general architecture and then dove deep on how to handle image uploads. But uploading is only half the solution. We also need to allow downloads of the images. Turns out, downloading is a totally different game. In this episode of MobiCast, John and Chris finish their two-part series on building an image hosting solution. We discuss in detail how to enable downloads of files with the help of CloudFront, a global network of edge locations that makes it easy to achieve massive scale. Welcome to MobiCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, listener. It's another episode of MobiCast. So Chris will join us in just a second. We recorded this, which is episode 110, a day after we recorded episode 109, and we thought we were going to splice the two together, but it turned out that this was too long, and it worked better for them to be separate episodes. Uh, So here you are, about to be jumped right into the middle of a conversation. In episode 109, we were talking about building a massively scalable image hosting service with AWS S3 and CloudFront. And here we're continuing that conversation. We, we were finishing up talking about the upload side of that solution. And then the rest of this conversation will be talking about the download side of that solution. So where you join us just now, Chris has just finished saying that from a user perspective, this should all feel like one single transaction. And here we go right into the conversation. So the client definitely has its work cut out for it to change over from... Um, you know, direct uploads via a proxy to your service to using S3. Um, sh- is that really all we wanted to talk about on on those changes around uploads, or are we ready to go on and talk about the download side of this? Yeah, I think we we've definitely done a, a you know a good job of covering the overview and the kind of the main moving parts. Um, maybe what we could do is we kind of like dive a little bit deeper. You know, at the beginning of this, we kind of said like, hey, one of the one of the missions here is to kind of give some of that real-world practical advice of like, hey, we've been there, done that, we've, we've tripped over this, so to give some practical tips. Sure. And maybe, um, so there's there's definitely, when doing like these pre-signed requests, um, there's a couple things that are potential gotchas that folks may want to, to be aware of. And they both have to do with when you're using these pre-signed posts. So the pre-signed URLs, Again, those go against server-defined bucket key single object that you're going against, whether you're doing a put or a get. So they're a bit simpler, um, pretty straightforward. But with the post, you have that much more flexibility. And one of the things, again, you'll be faced with is who gets to decide the name of the uploaded object? Is it going to be enforced server-side or client-side? And the way that you do that is when you create your your pre-signed post policy, you can have conditions set on it. And these conditions are basically guardrails on like what can happen with, with this pre-signed request. And one of those conditions will be on, you can set a condition on the key name. And if you want the server to enforce the key name, you would then use a equals condition on it. So you could say, I'm going to create this condition where the key name has to equal this value. And that's specified by the server and you, and you 
specify that condition when you create this this pre-signed post request, and then that's what gets sent to the client, um, and then the client has to use that name. So mm-hmm. it's that server side. For client side, um, if you want the client to be able to to specify the name, because again, the client's the one that's uploading a file, and it could be just some you know some image or whatnot. Maybe you want to retain the the root file name of that or whatnot. But you still want to maybe lock down the bucket. You may even want to lock down like the path to that key mm-hmm. to have a specific prefix, and you can do that with with a condition as well, and and on the key. But this time you can use a um, the operator can be the starts with. So you can say, hey, this is the basically the prefix that that key should start with, and to enforce that on the condition. So those those are when you're using this and you're creating these pre-signed requests, um, almost assuredly you're going to be creating these conditions and you're probably going to be creating conditions on the key and it's going to either be equals or starts with. So something to be aware of. I would say unless you know what you're doing, you should have the server decide what the key name is going to be because there's so much like Wild West stuff that your client might want to name something. Like you just don't even want to mess with that. Like if you want to have clients give names to files, just store that name in a in a database somewhere and associate it to the the key that the server gave the file. I think that's you know ninety nine times out of a hundred the right way to go. I'm sure somebody can come up with a good reason that clients should be able to name files in S three, but um, I would think that that would be a, a rare case. Yeah, I mean it just it, again it just depends on your situation and what your conditions are. Um, you know it's. Just have an opinion, Chris. Matter. Come on. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I actually went both ways on this, right? Uh, okay. um, at, at first, there was like there was reasons for letting the client specify the name, um, and really? then there was reasons for not. So y- you run into issues with like collisions and uniqueness and whatnot. So you don't if you give everything a unique ID. So just name your files one, two, three, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen, right? And then. Say that equals whatever the client wants it to be in the database. Right. You just you just need to make sure that that's unique across whatever your namespace is, too. Right. So it's like I wouldn't trust the client to make sure that's unique for me, right? Because if you have a million clients, the likelihood that one of them is going to choose something ununique is more likely than the, if the server gets to decide, right? What's the odds of someone using test.jpg? Um, <laughs> right. So, but no, I mean, so, but you can still do that with prefix, right? So the prefix sure, can sure. be, you can use a UUID, um, generate a UUID, say that's part of the prefix and put that as your starts with on your condition clause. Right. I guess, so, the, so we talked about how this is like, you know, from real experience, I did a thing where I let the client name files in S3 one time and guess what? S3 doesn't like to have spaces and file names and it does, it'll just, or like other kind of weird characters and it'll just strip them out. But not kind of preserve them in a way where you can get back to that file name unless you know, like you can actually lose information, mm-hmm. um, and so like that that sucks to deal with. It's just easier to ha- have a file name one two three twelve nineteen eighty. You know. Yeah. So that's that's I guess where I'm coming coming from. Yeah, it's just probably there's less to think about. There's less that can go wrong if you set it server side and if you just do. UI, UUIDs across the board. Yeah, there are like just for me, I found it like it's it's kind of nice that like you may want the actual file name to have something a little bit more meaningful, right? Sure, it looks, sure. So Otherwise, if you have to look it up. Something yeah, that's going to really be like... that someone's going to see, like, and or just be able to find or recognize um, mm-hmm. to have some sort of actual semantics mm-hmm. to the name. Is, That's is fair because otherwise you're always going to end up having to look up everything in a database yeah. to figure out what mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, just 
definitely something to be aware of. Like if you're using these things, you're going to run into it. Um, so just know that you have, you have these kinds of things to control that. And then another thing um, that's, that was uh, kind of interesting and, and, poten- and potentially a gotcha as well for folks that are doing this is the default behavior when you do a pre-signed post. And again, this is pre-signed post. We're not talking about pre-signed URLs, but pre-signed post. The default behavior from a successful pre-signed post is if it's successful, S3 will respond back and with a success code. And that's it. It won't tell you. You're going to get an empty body on that request. So it's it's almost like, okay, well, like, you know, fine, it was successful, but what file was created? Like, what's the path to it? Um, and so you may need that if you are allowing the client to specify part of this path, right? Um, you may need that to do some kind of uh, follow-up response um, to the, the client itself or whatnot. For me, like working in a, in a development environment, I really needed this so that I could then go and fetch that uploaded file just from like the command line right on my client as opposed to going and writing some more code to go fetch it from the server or something like that, right? So it can be really useful to have this information returned back. And so to do that, when you create your pre-signed post request, you have to specifically tell S3 what action it should take upon success. And it's this, it's literally just a field that you set on the pre-signed post request. It's called success underscore action underscore status you need to set that to 201. And now if you do that, you won't get an empty body anymore. You'll actually get an, an XML document with <laughs> XML. You'll get, can, can we, we're still like XML, seriously? Come on. <laughs> I can't even, it's like, I, I can't, I'm like, really? Yeah, that's right. It's XML. Um, so you'll get XML back, um, but at least you'll be able to, like you can, it's easy enough to parse out, um, but you'll you'll get the location attribute in that, and so that will tell you, yeah, here is where this file was was stored, um, the bucket and and the basically the the key. Um, I'll never so, get down off my soapbox that AWS has a culture of no when it comes to intu- intuitive user experiences for their services. Yes, like yeah. no, 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 it can't work that way. That would be too intuitive. We're not going to just return you the path to the file that you just created. We're going to return you an empty nothing. Hey, I'm going to go back to my theme of AWS <laughs> certification exams, and I'll be like, the reason is, is like that'd be a great exam question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So any um. So if you so that this is something that like it's kind of buried in the documentation. It is not explicitly said. Like it's literally like you you have. It's almost casually noted. It's like in the second paragraph of one of the descriptions of one of these fields, where it just kind of like nonchalantly says, like, if you want something other than an empty document, then you need to set this attribute. Right. So we didn't make it any easier. It's like in the forty-sixth minute of this podcast, too. <laughs> well, hopefully, <laughs> good this luck, is everyone. The reason, hopefully, this is the reason for listening this far, right? Right. Right. Like, this is like real-world. Tra- I mean, I guarantee you, this is going to save someone a couple hours of time. Yeah, so just yeah. remember, hey, if you're doing a pre-signed post, you don't want an empty body back. You got to set this field success action status to tell it you want a two hundred one instead of a two hundred four, and you'll get back some information. So. Cool. Keep that top of mind. All right. So now are we on to downloads? I think we are. I think I think we've covered the 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 upload path. Cool. Um, and now that we've got 
these these files uploaded, it's like, okay, how, how are we going to retrieve them? And again, we want to do this in a very scalable, cost-effective way. We want it to be available, all that kind of all that kind of good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so now all of our code, all of our code, all of our our files are up in in S3 in the Amazon's object-based storage. So how do we get them? And so we we could, of course, just get them straight from S3. Mm-hmm. Um, so S3 is is actually great for this, right? Like we, you know, you can host a static website out of S3. Um, you know, it's it's eleven nines durability. It's highly available. I don't remember what the if it's is it four nines availability, um, but so yeah, highly available sure. right highly available service um, and you and you have different ways of accessing um, S three so they they have uh, two so you can have a URL to a to a bucket to go you know retrieve these objects so if you have the right policies on you know bucket policy and. It's set to be to have like public access, and so this may this may be one of the those situations where like having a public access on the bucket is okay because mm-hmm. um, it's just it's read only. You want to serve this stuff up. You're not letting people do any mutations or whatnot. It's not sensitive information necessarily. So so you have two two styles of URLs to access it. Um, so one is past style URLs. And then another one is virtual hosted style URLs. And I know this is one of your favorite topics, John, <laughs> because, you know, it was what, like about a year ago that you came across some post like on the AWS support forum saying, oh, yeah, by the way, the past style URLs are going to be deprecated on September 1st, 2020 and just uh, not right. supported anymore. Yeah. And, and it was yeah. just kind of like, what? Yeah. So. It um, caused like outrage among the community, uh-huh. and yeah. that was how everybody found out about it. And then I had this whole theory that that was actually the best way for them to announce it because if they had tried harder, you know, everyone was so mad because it was like an obscure blog post that said it. And that, but that outrage is what actually made everybody aware of it. Like the outrage worked better than any kind of other marketing would have. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know if they have marketing geniuses over there or if they just got lucky, but that really worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and it, it kind of makes sense, like why they want to get rid of it. Um, oh yeah, because, absolutely. Because it's not scale. So the, with the past style URLs, basically the domain name, um, the actual DNS resolution is glow. It's to a particular S three region. So you just you're basically just specifying like it's like S three. US East com, right? That's the, the first part of the URL and then slash bucket name mm-hmm. and then slash key, right? So, so every single request that goes against that style has to go through the same, you know, basically the DNS. same DNS. Yeah. 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 So it's it's hitting the same load balancer, right? Or mm-hmm. or a group of load balancers or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kinda hard to 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 partition that up without additional yeah. I mean, how many S3 requests are there a day? It's got to be in the trillions. <laughs> At least a few. At least yeah. a handful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the pastel URLs. And then the virtual hosted style are where the bucket name is actually now inside that DNS name. So it's going to be like bucket name.s3. region. So USC-2 and then Amazon AWS.com. And then slash, then comes the key. So, so the bucket is part of the URL, the, the DNS name um, with the virtual hosted style. And this is the, the style now that 
is gonna, it takes precedence and this is the one they want everyone to be using. Um, obviously it's, it's, it's much more partitioned this way, right? Um, on the, from a DNS side. So those are the two styles. And the reason why I kind of talk about this is because, you know, one of the things we'd want to do if serving this, um, serving these files up from S3 is to be able to set a custom domain name, right? Cause like if we probably don't want to serve up like all of our stuff, just give people a, an address, a URL that looks like, you know, bucket name dot S3 Amazon.com, right. Or whatever it is. And so instead we want something like, you know, mobicast.fm slash images slash happy JPEG. Right. So, so to do that, we need, we, we can do some, some DNS aliasing, right. With a, with mm-hmm. a C name. Mm-hmm. Um, but the C names only work with the virtual hosted URLs, obviously. Right. Cause because in the, the past style URLs, it's in the domain name itself. There's nothing specific to the bucket. Right. Right. It's just the region, the S3 region. So obviously we're not going to be able to do a C name for the S3 region. We don't have access to that. So we have, so we have to use the, the virtual hosted style. So we can do that. The, the real big issue with this though, is if you want to do secure access to it, if you want to actually allow TLS requests to this, then you run into problems because you can't have, there's no way to associate a SSL certificate to your S3 bucket. Right. Okay. Right. Which, which at first, you know, you might be like, well, that's, that seems weird. But then on, when you think about it, it's like, okay, it makes, it makes sense considering just how big S3 is and like what it would mean in order to have a, an SSL cert installed for your however many buckets that you may have and however many sure. buckets that are out there and whatnot, right? So, right. So, so if you want to serve your files via directly um, via S3 and you want to be able to have a custom domain name that supports TLS, like, unfortunately, you know, S3 is not going to work for you. You can't mm-hmm. do that. If you don't care about TLS or you don't care about a custom name, then S3 may still be a viable way. Of, of doing it for you. Then you do care about flannel shirts and grunge music because you are living in the past. <laughs> this is true. Yes. This is true. To, I guess, you know, just to follow, there's probably not a good reason. Like, even though you could do it with those, like, if you don't have those requirements, it's still probably not a good reason for doing it. Like, you, you st- so we're going to, so the other option here is, is we can leverage CloudFront with S3 um, to address some of these limitations and we get some additional benefits to it, right? So we get all the, the caching benefits. It's inexpensive. It's, you know, it's more secure. Um, there's a lot of like, good things that come along with it and not a lot of negatives other than it just takes some more time and some more effort to set up. And so like, you should probably be looking at CloudFront like, almost all the time. Anyhow, regardless of whether or not you know you want to have your own custom domain name with 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 um, TLS. Man, is that is that truck going to finish backing up, or did you accidentally set off the you know using HTTP without TLS alarm? <laughs> is that what that alarm is? <laughs> yeah, it could be that, it could, or it could be my Fitbit just saying, you know what, you've been sitting for too long. Right, it's time to get up and move around. So. No, unfortunately, someone's getting a uh, furniture delivery from. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So, but at least it's not it's not the um, landscapers. 
yet. <laughs> um, so mo- moving on, so so CloudFront, like um, this is going to address a lot of the the issues. And like I said, it's this is the taking advantage of the edge network that mm-hmm. AWS has built out. Um, so you know, hundred over a hundred edge locations scattered all over the the globe. These are closer points of presence to your end users. The information can be cached there, um, so much quicker response times. It's like totally ruining your argument about how it would be hard to have TLS certificates on S3 because CloudFront is quite literally a more sophisticated system in a lot of ways, right? It's like moving files out to hunt like way more edge computers. It's knowing about when they should be replaced with newer versions. It supports TLS and certificate installation. I mean, it, it is... Super, like it is an, a complex system. Sure, I mean, and there's no doubt, like it's it's no easy feat to support these custom domain names and TLS in CloudFront. But given that it's such a big, hard, complicated thing to do, like to do it for both CloudFront and S3 would be kind of sure, kind of crazy, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we're gonna do it once. Where are we gonna do it? It's let's do it. We're gonna do it. In do CloudFront. it at the edge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is the right place for people to be getting their content from anyway. So it perfect is. place it for is. it. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are at our mid-roll. I usually ask you to do something for us. Leave five stars or tell your friends or whatever. I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Um, I know you could spend your time listening to another show or doing something else. Uh, but here you are listening to us. That's so nice. So just thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the show. So yeah, so so we we want to use CloudFront to now enable these this the distribution of the content from the S3 buckets. And the great thing like this is just textbook examples of like how to use CloudFront with S3 so we can totally lock it down if we want and we should. Um, so that the only like we don't want to have um, public access on our bucket. Instead, what we can do is we basically can just say, "Hey, the only thing that that can really read from this is CloudFront," mm-hmm. and so we can do that by creating this origin access identity, um, and we can basically say that with that with that OAI origin access identity um, only allow CloudFront to read from that bucket. Um, and disallow direct accesses from yeah, public direct accesses from the S3 bucket, right? So, so now, if someone did try to come in and read that file through the S3 virtual hosted URL, they would get a they would get a um, denied, right? They would that would not happen. Instead, it has to be read through the CloudFront URL. Mm-hmm. So, so that's something we can do to kind of lock it down, and then we can also. Um, lock it down such that all these requests are done over TLS. And so this would be one of the things you can do when you set up your CloudFront distribution. And so, um, you know, you'll be, you, you have options on what to do with HTTP versus HTTPS request. And you can opt, it's just an option there to say, hey, if, if an HTTP request comes in, redirect it back to HTTPS. Mm-hmm. Right, so that way we can enforce that all the requests that come through are done securely over TLS, in order to now have this custom domain. Right, um, so we want again we want this to be mobicast.fm, um, and we want it to come over TLS. So now we have to have a cert for that, mm-hmm. and 
So we can update our this CloudFront distribution to say like what cert we want to use. So when you do that, you're going to have two choices. One is, do you want to use SNI, um, which is um, server name identification? And what this does is this allows a single server to host more than one SSL certificate and to do the negotiation with the client to offer up the right cert. That's the the one the one option. The other option is basically they can give you a dedicated server with only one SSL cert on it, which is your your own. And if you do that, you're going to pay quite a bit. I think it's like it's like five hundred dollars a month or something like that. Um, mm. it's, it's quite expensive. But why would you do that? Um, so there's some really there's older clients out there that doesn't that don't support SNI, and so. Okay. It may be you just have like a technical requirement. I mean, granted, it's like it's literally like you need to have like a BlackBerry like phone from like 2006. <laughs> like that's the kind of like what we're talking about, like doesn't support SNI. It's like okay. every browser from the past, like, you know, seven, eight years should support SNI, I think. I mean, it's 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 very, very well supported. So almost assuredly, you'll be able to use SNI. It's just it's so simple. You can use now um, uh, AWS's certificate manager. So a, a, use um, Amazon certificate manager certificate. So they're free. Um, you can go create a wildcard cert in ACM, um, and then you can use that as part of your distribution and use SNI with that cert. And now all your CloudFront requests are going to go through TLS, through your custom domain, cached, and good to go. And so you now, by doing this, you have tremendous scalability and performance and security with really just by, you know, going through the few extra steps of setting up this, this CloudFront distribution to be the, the one that serves up these, these files out of your S3 buckets. I guess though, the part that I don't understand that we should talk about is, okay, I, I know how to access my files in S3, but how do I get the CloudFront URL for them? How do I tell my clients that this is where your file is? So when you create your CloudFront dist- distribution, and we specify all these different parameters, we're, one, you're going to specify your origin. And your origin just means like, where, what's the source of this stuff, right? So we're going to set our origin to be our S3 bucket. Mm-hmm. And we have that origin access identity policy so that CloudFront has access to to read from that. So we're setting that up. And then by default, you're going to get, CloudFront's going to give you a URL for this, right? It's going to be a, a really, uh, they're going to use a UUID essentially in, in this in this URL. So it's going to be just some gibberish.cloudfront.net. And that's going to be the URL for your CloudFront distribution. And you could use that, right? But mm-hmm. then, you're, and, and that will work over SSL, but it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's coming from you. It's obviously coming from somewhere else. So if you, if we, instead we want that to be like mobicast.fm, so what we need to do is we just use DNS, right? So we'll, we'll we create a CNAME alias to that. So we'll say like media.mobicast.fm mm-hmm. is now resolves to that particular um, CloudFront URL. Sure. And then just as long as we now have the mobicast.fm wildcard certificate installed, for that CloudFront distribution, the SSL will now work as well. Yep, yep. Yeah. But then, I guess the to connect it together, then does the key name in S3 translate all the way through to that? So now I can do mm-hmm. mobicast.fm or media.mobicast.fm slash key name, and that gets me to my file? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so that, so that, I mean, that that URL is basically the the equivalent of the virtual hosted style URL. Right. right. So that it's pointing to the bucket. Um, it's pointing to the root of the bucket of your S3. Right. And keyname keyname includes any sort of paths. So yes, the that, that's yeah, the prefix that can be a little confusing. That your whole folder structure inside S3, all of that together, plus the file name. Or plus the object name is the key name. Yeah, I mean, so I think you know, technically, it's you have bucket and key, and we talk about like it's it's really just a, we it's 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 one of those things that's it's a little counterintuitive because you think of like S three as like folders and whatnot, and it's really not. It's really well, and that's how it's presented in the console too. It's like oh, let me click into the folders. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's really it's just a key value database, mm-hmm. um, and so the key is just this. Big long string, and that's what references the the object. Um, and so, prefix is like some amount of that key name up to a point. Usually up till like we use slashes, right, to kind of like to show like there's this folder structure that we're we're, we're imposing this folder um, abstraction on this stuff. Um, but as far as the underlying technology is concerned, it's really just. Every, it's just you have a bucket and then you have a key. Mm-hmm. And so with these platform distributions, like it's the bucket is part of that um, that that DNS name, if you will, like that that's because that's what we're pointing to as our origin. And then it's just we're going to be specifying now the key after that. So it's whatever whatever path we may have a prefix. Um, right, like, like uh, Chris Hickman slash private slash my eyes only slash images. Yeah, yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. Cool. And I, one other thing I wanted to kind of point out too is that um, it's kind of nice. So, so you may have heard of, of byte range request. Um, it's kind of important when it comes to serving up large files. And so this basically just still, it's kind of a way of, of doing streaming, right? So it allows. A, a server to send only a portion of a large file to a client, and the client can the the server and the client can kind of negotiate back and forth with headers to say like what how big the file is and what range they're getting and whether or not the server supports this. So it's kind of a, a bit more of an advanced feature. But the great thing about this is that CloudFront it supports this automatically. Yeah. So yeah, you don't definitely. have to do anything with it. So you just get it right out of the box, which right. is nice. Cool. Cool. Is that it for downloads? We just use CloudFront. We set it up with uh, with some TLS and uh, hand the clients some URLs to those CloudFront objects and say go to town. I think it's really it really is that simple. I mean, and it, it's kind of again when you think about it, it's pretty amazing just how much scalability you get with this. Like this will literally scale to millions upon millions of files. And it will scale to millions upon millions of users and requests, and you just have it like right out of the box. I mean, it's just there's nothing else to do. Like AWS has done all the heavy lifting for you, um, and it's really cost effective. So absolutely, look at um, you know we talked about the uploading architecture. What's due there, and look at pre-signed request. Um, or you can look at um, something like Cognito, um, if that works better for you with, with the kind of um, clients that you may have. And then for, for accessing those files in a very scalable, performant way, 
definitely put CloudFront in front of your S3 buckets. You know, there's one thing that we haven't talked about that I think might be worth spending just a couple minutes on, which is the whole dance between uploading and downloading and uh, create, making that look like a sort of an interactive thing that happens synchronously. Um, because, you know, you may be moving files, like we talked about the upload bucket might be like a Dropbox where you can only put things into it. And then the, you know, the place that CloudFront gets files from might be a different bucket. So you might be moving and pre-processing files from one bucket to another in this architecture. Like who knows what you're actually doing once you get things in S3. But it's likely that in a lot of app applications, there's going to be users sitting there sort of expecting things to happen right before their eyes. Um, so I think it might be worth talking about that side of the client experience a little bit and, you know, the kinds of things we do to make it, uh, to make something that's very asynchronous appear, you know, pretty much immediate. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, so you, you're talking about like, okay, I'm, I'm uploading a 10 megabyte file and it's going to take a minute um, for that upload to happen. And what, what does the user experience look like? Or? No, yeah. So, I mean, I'll talk about, I'll talk about our, one of our clients a little bit. So I'll mention Zupix because I've mentioned them by name before. So they upload files to, um, to S3, right? Animal lovers take videos of their dog running around. It might be 30, 40 megabytes. They upload it. And then they expect, once it's uploaded, they expect to go back to their feed. And there it is. It's right there. It's already in the feed. Mm-hmm. How did we do that voodoo magic? Mm-hmm. It, are we are we like because there are many steps that have to happen, right? There's the whole step of like, give me an S3 bucket. Now I'm going to upload to that S3 bucket. Now I'm going to tell the service, hey, this file is in this S3 bucket, and I want it to have this ID for this user. Like it, it is a real video from this user. Now I want to do a pull to refresh and see that video right there in my feed. But, you know, has the thing already even made it over to CloudFront yet? Like, is it even available? Maybe not. So how how do we do that? Like, that's the expectation of the user, right? Like, they saw the thing uploaded, it's there. Like, they shouldn't have to wait a couple minutes for it to be down in CloudFront available for looking at, right? Mm-hmm. So part of this is going to be very application-specific on what your requirements are. Like, what do you need to show? Like, and also just... What do you need to do after the upload happens? Like, are, is there post-processing that has to happen? Mm-hmm. So like in some cases, like you will absolutely have, like you may have to do some kind of like transcoding, right? And yep. there's just no way around it. And like, maybe it's, you got to convert this from, you know, to an AAC file or something like that. Um, right. Or it, and, um, and needs to be I, MP4. I'm going to push on you on that application specific because here's a few applications where users might have the same expectations. Slack, Gmail, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, I can keep going. Like mm-hmm. it's just very common requirement, super common mm-hmm. uh, in our in our own work at Kelsis. We've had to do it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, some things to keep in mind is that like it doesn't have to be in, it doesn't have to propagate out to the edges, right? For it to be there, so it's like mm-hmm. CloudFront does just fine with misses. Um, so if it hasn't propagated out to the edge yet, it just means that there was a miss, miss at the edge and now it's going to go back to the origin. So it just needs to be in the origin. Yep. So that it just means it's going to be a little bit slower for people to access that. So it's really just a matter of like in this like how quickly do you have it in the origin and do you what do you do there? So again, if you have to do some transcoding, like you have to start making some decisions like okay, I have to put a placeholder on there and so maybe it's a maybe I have a thumbnail or something like that or maybe I do 
Like a non-transcoded version is the first thing that's there and then it gets replaced once the transcoded, transcoded version is ready. Exactly. That is, right? so I think, you, pretty common. And that's how we've solved it a lot of times. It's like, you just uploaded the thing. The thing was already on your device. There was already a way of looking at it in your browser or your mobile device. So we'll use that until we get the server version. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's also who do you show it to? You may only show it to the author, um, only to the, to the uploader, author exactly right? because yeah. other other users don't have the same expectation around timeliness. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was worth talking about that because I think mm-hmm. it does come up. Um, yeah. In order to make that really nice, beautiful user experience, you may have to mm-hmm. fake it till you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, go and build this because you know you'll have to if you're in software for like more than six months. You're going to end up building a file upload and download system. Yeah. I've I have done it now like more than a handful of times. Yes, me too. So I really have. Like yeah. it's 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 a very common thing. So And every time it's different. And if, if you were to if you were to do another MobyCast next year, there we'd probably have some different tips and tricks. Like overall the the concerns are the same, but like there would probably be some slightly different ways we'd want to do things. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean it's def- for me it kind of Usually, well, I mean, the back end has changed the architecture over yeah, over yeah. various iterations. But then, a lot of like a, a lot of the the fun, if you will, um, or um, pulling out the hair is the just how do you glue all this stuff together from a from a programming from a code standpoint, and just making that all work ends up becoming part of the the more. Um, time-intensive things to do, right? And, and it's actually, that's where all the the micro decisions get to be made. The variability comes from as well. So right, right. there's not a lot, of, there's not as much variability on the overall architecture and like, how do you, you know, build this out? But now how do I do it if I have a JavaScript client versus how do I do it with an iOS client? And like, what's the library I'm going to use for doing a browser-based upload not inside of a browser, not inside of a browser, because I need to do now. I need to do a. Um, I'm doing this post that was designed to work with browsers, but I also want it to work with other clients. So how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And that gets to be you know particularly tricky. And then you know what do I? How do I show progress? And how do I do background um, uploads and batch uploads and things like that? So yeah, totally. And a pet peeve of mine is any kind of progress indicator that doesn't really. Match reality. I hate the progress <laughs> indicators that end up staying at ninety percent for more than the time that they went through mm-hmm. from zero to ninety. Oh, yeah. I hate that. So don't do that. Don't do that. It's possible to not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's end with that there. And and All also right. thanks, Gus, for for letting us know it's time to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thanks, Chris. See you later. Uh-huh. Talk to you next time. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England, and I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast.